0: Good morning and welcome back to the Daily Wrestling News Show where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy and I'm joined today by John DeConi. We are talking about Tales from the Territory, Episode 7, Portland, John.
1: Yes, sir. The Pacific Northwest Wrestling, the, the Portland Territory. And uh, another great subtitle on this one. I'll let you get to it.
0: Yes. Where wrestling got weird. <laughs> it's like, it is a pretty good one. I am wearing a hot rod shirt because uh, probably the biggest star to come out of the Portland territory has to be Roddy Roddy or Rowdy Roddy Piper. You know, he's uh, they said on the show that he was a greenhorn. So indicating that he kind of got his start there and man they showed clips of just little snippets of his interview work throughout the time and he was exceptional it seems like from the beginning
1: exactly like you, you know if you just if you took the visual away and you didn't see how much younger he was or what his hair looked like etc there it would be hard to tell the difference between that and some of the stuff he said uh, on WWF television
0: true yeah you know they said that there's roots back to the 1920s for this Portland territory. And if you do a little Googling, I think you'll find that there was wrestling in that area even before that, which is kind of a fun fact. But um, they they said uh, just in the beginning, they were talking about like, if you didn't keep kayfabe in those days, the wrestlers in the locker room would beat the heck out of you in Portland. So um, a fun, a fun territory. they, Like all of them, they kind of refer to it as like this remote area. And I guess the Pacific Northwest in some ways is kind of is kind of remote. I mean, it's part of the contiguous United States, but not a lot of people are traveling through there, not as much as like the Carolinas or Texas or something like that. They're smaller. What appears to be smaller markets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're not you're not just passing through the Pacific Northwest you're going there to you whether you're going to Portland, you're going to Seattle, you're going to somewhere in that area. It's not, you know, it's not a flyover state unless you count the, uh, you know, British Columbia as a destination that you would fly over it for. Right. But, yeah.
0: There are whole podcasts about the Portland territory out there. Um, and I, I, to be fair, I have not listened into them, but I know there's some, there's some pretty big fans of Portland wrestling and what's, Fascinating to me. Uh, and this is not the first time I've heard of a promoter doing this, but they didn't keep tape. They taped over it every single week. They use the same, you know, in my mind, I'm visualizing a uh, VCR tape and they're just <laughs> going over it every single week, um which is a shame. So, like, history is, I guess, in theory lost, but Buddy Rose not is not entirely the savior, right? He taped it every week and kept the tapes. Now, Buddy Rose has passed away. So, I don't know where who has that collection. It feels like it's probably Jim Cornette or something, but yeah. um, but that to me, it's just like, man, what would that library be worth right now? Yeah,
1: and you know, and they go out of their way to say that uh, Don Owen, the the owner and promoter there, was a businessman. Yeah. And that just seems like such a a, a dropping of the ball. Like, how, how do you not think to archive? Okay, maybe he couldn't have foreseen home video and whatnot. But, you know, how do you not, especially, you know, you wind up being something of a feeder system. Your, your stars are going on to bigger fame, and you know that the product is expanding nationally. Okay, maybe you don't have stuff from the 60s, maybe not the, by the 80s how are you not thinking that uh, this is something worth, you know, putting on Memorex?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that caught me off guard, I was like really fascinated by the fact that they did their TV in a bowling alley. <laughs> I was, just, I it just caught me, it caught me completely off guard. Uh, and it's what I guess it also caught some of the wrestlers off, uh, off guard is uh, so the people that were, the, on the panel this week, I guess we should talk about that. Was Bushwhacker Luke, Mike Masters, the grappler Len Denton, and Princess Victoria. So Len Denton, he kind of comes in late to the scene. But he said that when he arrived, he was like, oh, my God, I left Texas to come here to this to wrestle at a bowling alley. And uh, Bushwhacker Luke, just off the side, says, yeah, from the Superdome to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> a, a very good line but- yeah.
1: Yeah. It it really was kind of uh, like it, it. It you were taken aback when they showed uh, early in the episode, like the entrance to the building. Okay, mm-hmm. like, so they didn't show the the building in very great detail, and a lot of the interior shots were pretty tight on the ring or up in the crow's nest. But the one shot that they had from the outside. Looked like the front door to a pizzeria. Like, <laughs> <it> just, <laughs> it, There was no pizzazz to it other than, a you know, maybe a 10 foot wide by two foot ho- high sign above it that said, uh, uh, what was it? The sport? What do they call the, the Portland sports arena? Yes.
0: <laughs> Which is a very fun name for a bowling alley. <laughs>
1: I run, <you> know, the <laughs> arena was not in quotes for some reason.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, So yeah, so it's interesting characters, uh, you know, Don Owen was the main promoter, and his brother Elton they introduced on this show. Who Elton, I guess, ran the territory from uh, Eugene. So obviously, with most territories, they have multiple cities that they're running. Eugene uh, is a couple of or a couple hundred miles away from Portland, so Eugene was kind of er, Elton was in charge of the shows in Eugene, and uh, there were some really colorful stories about. Elton, the one that the one that got me uh, laughing out loud was the cigar story with Adrian Adonis. Yes, yes, that was definitely noteworthy.
1: <laughs> but yeah, apparently Elton was quite a character. Uh, he was drunk every night, always had a cigar in his mouth, and uh, Adrian Adonis took the opportunity to pull a rib, like the guy, uh, the boys backstage were wont to do, and uh, he would rub it. In his unmentionable areas, and then (laughs) replace it in the ashtray, and everyone would kind of wait around, biting their nails, waiting to see if, or in more likely uh, scenarios, when Elton would put the cigar back in his mouth, and everyone would get a big laugh.
0: And he did, and then he would like smell it, and he'd say, "Who the f shit in here?" Put it right back in his mouth, take a big hit, so. Hysterical stuff. So their panel that they had was, you know, Princess Victoria, who said she was living in a hotel room before the guys actually found her. Um, You know, she was a a fan before she kind of started wrestling. A fan. Go ahead.
1: uh, Yeah, uh, a fan, and for all intents and purposes, a fourteen-year-old runaway.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is which is really interesting when they tell the story later about going to Salem, which is her hometown. And uh, her family being in the arena and getting all upset and stuff. Uh, It's interesting her being a runaway and her family caring. (laughs) Uh, Mike Masters, he's a, he's a big hulking type of guy. And he just sent in an eight by 10, I guess. That's how he got in Uh, sheep herders of course, coming from New Zealand and, you know, talking about how they're tough guys and that the other wrestlers are not. Um, So every one of these territory ones, you know, the, 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 go back to that thing with the rock where he says in the opening thing, where the business was protected and the passionate fans still believed and Len Denton, he's coming in, like I mentioned before the whole super dome to the supermarket and he jumps the barrier to get away from Billy Jack Haynes and the fans just start taking free shots at him. So uh, the fans, the fans still believed in, in, uh, in the Portland territory. And that, that's part of the Princess Victoria story, I guess, too. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's, uh, you, you know, save that one for a little bit. We actually, what we should really talk about are the the two the two main characters, basically from Portland, is your Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose, and Matt Bourne. Matt Born, uh, being Doink the Clown, essentially. So. Um, Buddy Rose people might remember him he he from the WWF he was the opening match of WrestleMania 1 uh, losing to Tito Santana that's probably where you'd see him the most but he also feuded with Pedro Morales over the IC title in 82 and 83 and uh so he has the he has the distinction John of losing the first match in WrestleMania history
1: exactly and you know he was the funny thing and Vince McMahon really had a knack for doing this, taking people who were well-known in the territories and changing them just for the sake of changing them because they weren't his creation. The example being that opening match against uh, it was Tito, Tito, right? Yeah. Tito, uh, Tito in the very first match of the very first WrestleMania um, not until we did our own little deep dive into WrestleMania one that you'll see at some point uh, coming up. Did I realize that that, you know, I knew the name playboy buddy Rose, but I didn't realize that was him because he's under a damn mask. He's mm-hmm. one of the, you know, umpteen people who at some point in time in the history of the WWE went under the name of the executioner.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, as, as, as we watched this episode, you know, and Vince McMahon, at, at that time he was trying to go national and he was buying up the, all the little territories and he was aggressively, you know, he was still, he was pursuing the, the Portland territory and all of a sudden it clicked, you know, cause when well, you watch WrestleMania one, the show sucks. I mean, it's not watchable really. Um, but, and, and it really doesn't feel like a super card when you're watching it in the sense of the other super card, um, events that you could look up and find in history whether they be from Polynesian Pro or whether they're from the championship wrestling from Florida there's much much bigger cards but if you stop and you analyze a little bit and you see okay well they've got they've got Matt Bourne on this card who's the super hot babyface from the Portland Territory they also had Buddy Rose on this card who is the super hot heel from the Portland Territory mm-hmm. uh, and then also Adonis in here who was Really big in the AWA, and he had a run here in uh, in Portland. And there's Roddy Piper, who is really big in Portland. So you have these certain guys that are really big in certain sections of the country that do show up to this show. So it, so I'm kind of coming around to the idea that it's a that it was a super show. Um, but oddly, the biggest heel in the Pacific Northwest is under a mask at WrestleMania One. Exactly.
1: And he, you know, he, it, it, it's not as if he wasn't known for his look, you know, the bleached blonde hair, you know, playboy. You know, he's supposed to be a pretty boy. And quite frankly, he's not necessarily a, a terrible looking gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a little soft around the edges, but like he, that his gimmick went with his look. And Vince puts him under a mask.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, Okay, so Buddy Rose, he started with Vern, Vern Gagne, and he understood that the the key to getting over was to never break character, so uh, Mike Masters tells a story about after the, the show one day, they're they're out there, and they go to a, a, a liquor store to get some beer or whatever, and these two, two girls and this other young man ask for his autograph, and he says, no, get out of here, because he's a heel, and he's not signing autographs. Yeah. So with that, with that, the kid kind of continues to badger him. So Buddy Rose just hauls off and punches him in the face, and then hurry up and get in the car and, and drives away. So uh, he's an you know interesting character. That whole don't break the kayfabe thing. Um, Len would come over and uh, Len would talk about how Buddy Rose asked him not to hurt him before a match. And Bushwacker, Bushwacker, look, Luke, Luke kind of says that you know Buddy Rose is pretty much a wimp, even yeah. though he had this this big facade, but. Um, I liked the story that Bushwhacker Luke told about him driving, you know, 100 100 miles an hour all the time.
1: Yes, and man, when he, <laughs> he would drive 100 miles an hour everywhere, and if he got pulled over, he made sure to always have a little folding knife in his Ashtray. He'd blade himself behind the wheel, and when the cop came to the window, he would claim I was just in a cage match or some kind of hardcore match and I'm on my way to the I'm on my way to the ER to get all stitched up. And sometimes it will and not only would he most of the time get off. Sometimes he would even get a police escort to the hospital where he would wait in his car for the officer to leave and then promptly leave the yes. uh, hospital parking lot.
0: Yeah. And buddy Rose passed away in 2009. He died in his fifties. Seems like uh, maybe di- diabetic type of reasons. Yeah. Um, Matt Bourne, the other character, super hot baby face in this area He was obviously most known for his run as Doink the Clown, where he, you know, wrestled at WrestleMania. He wrestled Crush at WrestleMania Nine. He was the early Doink, the '92 to '93 version. He was actually uh, fired for drug abuse, and there's, you know, there's there's stories out there about one guy turning him in, you know, things like that. But uh, so it looks like he he actually also died from a drug overdose. So. Yeah. Um, he, he definitely
1: had his demons. I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long he's gone, but I know oh, within um, the
0: 2013.
1: Okay. So within the last couple of years of his life, a buddy of mine, uh, my college roommate, in fact, uh, who lives on Staten Island, I, he calls me up one day and says, what are you doing for WrestleMania? And uh, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, kind of probably going to be watching it on uh, the vcr because i got things to do blah 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 i'm not going to catch all of it live he's like oh i wanted you to come to staten island i'm like yeah uh yeah i don't think i'm going to be able to make it he's um he's like oh i really want you to come to staten island why it's like, the local bar is going to have matt bourne there you know, signing autographs. is that the other thing and he said he's like it wound up that the turnout was abysmal so, my buddy Fitz spent most of the night watching Matt Bourne crawl inside a bottle at the bar. He just sat at the bar. The, the show was on the TV. And by the end of the night, he could barely walk out of the
0: bar. Oh, that's a sad story. <laughs> so. But Matt Bourne, uh, you know, we also mentioned he died early, but it wasn't WrestleMania 9, wasn't his only appearance at, uh, at Mania. He also wrestled as Matt Bourne for, for a time in uh, wwf and he wrestled at wrestlemania one in the third match so you got buddy rose losing in the first match matt bourne losing in the third match matt bourne would lose to ricky steamboat um, but in the pacific northwest these two had an extreme blood feud and uh john i'll let you kind of set the stage for us
1: sure uh so matt born is the all-american uh amateur the amateur all-american he you know he's a a hard-bodied uh white meat baby face buddy rose is the dastardly villain tony ray born matt's sister winds up dating and they they kind of alluded to it like maybe no one knew they were dating and then all of a sudden within a couple of weeks Buddy Rose marries Matt Bourne's sister. And again, they kind of allude to the fact that no one was really sure if it was real, but they think they really did get married. And yet at the same time, no one at the table is surprised that the marriage is on the rocks within a month or two because Buddy Rose really never stopped messing around on the side with his girlfriend, Tammy, that they all remembered, you know, At the snap of a finger, oh, his girlfriend, yes, Tammy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go through a very public, on-screen divorce, but presumably it was really happening off-screen too. And while they were having blood feuds in the ring, Matt Bourne is, uh, on multiple occasions, attacks Buddy Rose in the locker room, went to his house one time and basically kicked in the front door. And there's even a story where Rose is driving... Mike Masters home after an event one night and he's afraid Rose uh, he's afraid Matt Bourne might be waiting for him at his house so Rose takes out his 357 Magnum and rests it on his leg in the front seat and pays Mike Masters $50 to go in the house and make sure there's no one in there first before Rose can go inside his own home like this was a this was just as real off screen as it was on screen which even in the era of ironclad kayfabe is just really mind blowing that these two hated each other so much. And there was so much realism in their wrestling storyline.
0: Yeah. And the whole time they, you know, leading up to the fact that they, to, they got married and then after they're married, that's all in the, that's all like part of the story as well. You know, that buddy Rose would be talking about how, know um his wife what's her what's her name uh ray something tony ray tony ray yeah tony tony ray said this and said that about matt Bourne and stuff like that and then yes they go through the they go through the divorce and all of this is on screen and like you said they couldn't really determine if it was a work some some people really thought it was but that was a legitimate wedding and when masters tells that story about Uh, having to go check his house, he's like, geez, this is not, I mean, regardless of what, whether the wedding was a work or a shoot these feelings that Rose's Rose has, this, (laughs) this is a shoot. So, um, you know, it all all, personal issues draw money was the first thing, almost the very first thing that was discussed on tales from the territory way back in episode one, when they did Memphis and boy, it, it is front and center on this one as well.
1: Yep, it, 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 it in some way, shape or form, it seems to come up in almost every episode. And it uh it, it is a recurring theme for sure.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. So, uh, you know, they they talked about Rowdy Roddy Piper in this, but they didn't really go into too many stories about him. They just talked about, you know, there was there's basically two stories, one being that. Uh, he had a match with the sheep herders. It was a steel cage match. His partner was Rick Martell. So Piper and Martell run down the aisle. They scale the cage. Martell hops over. The sheep herders are already in the ring. Piper goes to hop over his kilt gets caught and he falls down to the, the kilts hanging from the cage and he falls down, lands on his ass. And, uh, and he's all he can do to hold back his anger at the situation. The sheep herders have all they can do to hold back their laughter at the situation. Um, so he told that story, and then Bushwhacker uh, Luke also also had another story about Piper's driving.
1: Yeah, apparently uh, Piper was uh, taking everyone to the next city, and they kind of alluded in the, the reenactment to the fact that they were probably drinking, but I think he got pulled over mostly because they came into one of those towns where you kind of come off the highway and you're doing 45 or 50 on a main road. And before you realize that you're in the center of town and the speed limit has gone down to 45, 35, 25, and it's meant basically to catch you. Cherries come on behind them. They get pulled over. They wind up uh, in at the, whether it was a police station or the courthouse, The judge lives right next door. The officers basically knock on their door, uh, knock on his door. He comes out in his robe and slippers. Uh, He's being, you know, Piper's being arraigned right then and there. Uh, They have to come up with, uh, you know, between the however many of them there were, they come up with $250 to pay his fine so he can leave right away. But never one to let somebody else get the last word. Roddy and uh, not Luke, but Butch, peed on the you know like basically they could see in the the courthouse there was a big open window they just started pissing on the window (laughs) and they could be seen so I don't know how they weren't rearrested for public indecency but you know the, the story goes that I guess they got away
0: I think I think for I think it was the judge's house and I think what it was is like if you imagine it like the judge sitting at his desk maybe like uh, in like a split level situation and the window is like behind him behind his head and they're peeing, they're peeing on the window. And if the judge just turned his head, he would have seen them. (laughs) But that's, that's kind of the vibe I got from the, you know, the blurry video uh, technique that they do. So, but interesting, you know, Piper is an interesting character and I talked about earlier princess victoria now she's not really a name that i recognize very much john i know you were watching a little bit before me in the wwf era and they said that she went through there is it a name you remember at all
1: that you know that was that was the interesting part to me they they said that she made her way to the wwf and i'm saying to myself for the life of me i don't i certainly don't remember and i think you know i think i would have remembered at least you know native american gimmick because she she did wear uh you know, a, a small head, you know, the headband with just maybe like two feathers sticking out of it and a lot of the jade jewelry and, well, you know, natural skinned, uh, you know, leather, yeah. you know, like brown leather clothing and whatnot. I would have thought I would remember
0: that, but, you know,
1: I, like it would have stood out, but yet I do not recall her, I, not by
0: name and not by look. I guess the big angle that she was involved with in the Pacific Northwest, uh, although it sounds like she worked there for quite some time, but um, the big angle was... They were doing an eight man battle Royal in her hometown of Salem. And somebody had threw out the idea that maybe she should be in it. And so then on TV, buddy Rose starts talking about all the different reasons why she shouldn't be in it. You know, she's 125 pounds and I'm a man and blah, blah, blah. And then he says, here's the, you know, the other reason why And he smacks her across the face and then she kicks him in the nuts. And off to the races we go, we got a hot angle going into Salem for her hometown. they, they draw a big crowd, and she is one of the final uh, three participants. She actually believes that she throws uh, one guy out, but Buddy Rose grabs his, his leg, and they stay in. So now they're they've in a double-team situation against the, this woman, Princess Victoria, and they hoist her up, and they launch her, and they launch her into a brick wall. And she doesn't kind of she doesn't really come out and say that she bladed on the way down, but she also says um, that she hit the wall and she's busted open, and it was Buddy's idea. So the Buddy's idea makes me think that she bladed or whatever, but she's pouring blood out or whatever. But her her brother, who's five years younger than her, so is probably like 16, 17 years old at this time, he is mad and he is ready to go through the barricade after Buddy Rose. And if you ever touch my sister again, blah, blah, blah. So complete completely pissed and afterwards they're talking and princess and they you know they're like they say to her like who was that guy and she's like oh that's my that's my younger brother and they're like you have not smartened them up yet <laughs> and she's like why would i do that so
1: you know Your family doesn't know how this stuff works
0: so uh you know back to the very intro you know where the passionate wrestling fans still believed so
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they they made a point of saying how how well that worked with the whole angle, because it it was it didn't seem real. It was real. He really was trying to get at Rose and whatnot, and security kind of had to restrain him and, you know, remove him from the situation, at least for the time being. I don't remember if they said they kicked him out of the building, but it was definitely real to uh, her 15 or 16 year old brother at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they all talk about how they leave the territory. Dominic Danucci gets in co- contact with Mike Masters and he wants to put him in a tag team with David San Martino. So off to New York he goes. And that does sound like a good opportunity. So makes sense to me. Victoria says she wants to wrestle and they, you know, everybody told her, look, you got to get, if you want to get booked, you got to talk to Mula. She kind of controls everything. And people told her not to do it. And she's like, but I wanted to wrestle. And she doesn't go into any stories. And it's, you know, probably not important for the Pacific Northwest, uh, but you, there seems to there seem to like maybe have been some trauma there. So um, maybe for another show, that's not necessarily the the uh, what they're going for with Tales from the Territory. But if they do the Dark Side of the Ring on Fabulous Moolah, don't be surprised if you see Princess Victoria there.
1: Yeah, and she she did go. She did mention that it, Roddy specifically told her don't go. He yeah. wouldn't tell her why, but he said don't go and i guess without a concrete reason she wanted to get booked she wanted to work so she went
0: yeah yeah the bushwhack the bushwhackers the sheep herders they went on to the wwf uh, and as as luke puts it they became cartoon characters <laughs> he says you know you wrestle in the nwa or any of these territories you are a wrestler if you go to the wwf you become a celebrity he said that's that's the difference and he said You know, we went from the hardcore team to the cartoon character because money. Yeah. Simple, simply.
1: They were were hardcore before it was hardcore. And then they became kind of flag bearers of that cartoon era of the WWF.
0: Yes. Yeah. Each one of these territories has a really interesting uh, story about the shutdown, how they died out. And. This this one from Portland is totally, maybe not totally different, but it's very different than any other ones that we've heard so far. They hung on until 1992, which when you're talking about the territories, you don't usually say 90 anything. No. Um, you, obviously, WCW, uh, Turner gobbled up Jim Crockett promotions, and WCW became a national company alongside uh, WWF, so... That was more of a, a national company, but the territories, JCP, and everything—they're—they're they're gone in the '80s. So, '88, um, at at I believe JCP was was purchased by WCW or Turner, and then renamed WCW. So, uh, but Portland hung around until 1992, and it took um, it took a commission being established in Portland to to start the ball rolling, and then ultimately Vince McMahon with his uh you know, reaching in and grabbing their TV slot that oh, actually. Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. What, what do the death of almost every territory seem to have in common? The name Vincent Kennedy McMahon.
0: Yeah. So the, so here's the, you know, these, these guys have been running. The Owen family has been running for 60 years in Portland. uh I'm sorry, 70 years closer yeah. in Portland. And uh, you know, Len Denton is the booker, so he's the one telling the story here. Some guy comes, Bruce Anderson, he lobbies to get a commission created for boxing and wrestling in Portland, or in Oregon. There wasn't any boxing, so the commission was established, and they focused on wrestling. And the commission wanted 6% of the gate, and Don Owen's like, 70 years I've been doing this, and nobody has, I'm not paying anybody anything. Eventually he caves, because he realizes these guys can be a problem, they start paying the commission. And then out of this, there comes some, some unique stories, because the commission uh, required no blood, which is common. You know, the Maryland Athletic Commissions today requires no blood. So, you know, if there's a match there that draws blood, the wrestling company's gonna get fined like 10 grand. You know, so this is this is common around the country, even today. But in Portland, they did this no blood thing, and then Matt Bourne goes on TV, says he's gonna have a bloody match, and he invites the commissioner to come. And he's kind of says to the guys in the back, you know, it's just a work, I'm just working everybody. You know drop crowd, crowd or whatever um well he busted he blusts himself wide open in this match and he's pouring blood everywhere it's a bloody mess and uh he tries to say it happened the hard way it obviously didn't but the commission shuts them down for a week and they kind of transition to the the you know they say that the commission was there and that they were doing everything they could do to shut us down meanwhile vince is trying to take the tv and i got the impression from the voiceover narration mm-hmm. and from the way Denton kind of told the story and transitioned so easily into the Vince stuff that perhaps McMahon was behind the establishment of the commission in Oregon.
1: It, 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 it is kind of hinted at, you know, they don't, there's, no, there's nothing concrete there, but if, <laughs> I mean, it, would it surprise you? <laughs>
0: No, no. And then when it came to the TV, the guy who was running channel 12 in Portland is retiring and new guys coming in. Vince McMahon is giving, wants to give them $3,500 a week for the television slot. Plus he's sending a completely produced tape. There's no editing on the TV stations. And so uh, Portland territory is not paying them anything. Yeah. So it's kind of the reverse model of today. WWF is paying to be on Portland television yep. and, you know, it's a no brainer for the next guy that comes in to take the take the easy money and the better content over the, you know, 70 year established promotion. So that's what happens. And uh, the houses went down immediately, but it sounds like upon getting noticed that they were going to be off channel 12, Don Owen was like, that's it. Yeah, he
1: didn't have the fight left in him at that point. He uh, he he was an older gentleman at the time and said, "You know, I, I just don't have it in me. We know where this is headed. I'm not even going to fight it."
0: Yep. Yeah. So interesting, interesting episode. Uh, next week is world class uh, world class championship wrestling from Texas. Kevin Von Erich is obviously the most uh, notable survivor from that uh, from the Von Erich family. He's the only survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is going to be on the panel. It looks like Chavo Guerrero jr. Is on the panel.
1: Yeah, um, they, they didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't give a, a, a clear shot of his face and put a, a, his name under him. But you know, they, they spun around the table more than once. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Chavo.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brian 80, Ad- and David Manning, uh both basically wrestled in world class and that's it but they're so they're on the panel as well uh conspicuous by his absence is the free bird you know i thought the the this is seven bucks production you you would have thought they would have got michael hayes in there
1: yeah absolutely uh but you know what you have a you are a wrestling historian so why do i know david manning as, as he starts to tell one of the stories, I'm like, yeah, I should know. But even before they put his name up, I'm like, I should know this guy. When they put his name up, I immediately, you know, Googled him and saw his wiki page. And he's, you know, ref and booker there. He's not really known for much outside of there. I mean, it must have been one of WWE's, uh, you know, biography stories where he told a good portion or a good story. Because, like, I feel like I know the guy and should know
0: him better. So I think he's a doppelganger for, um, uh, a, some, a famous sitcom guy. I think he looks just like somebody else on TV. I mean, that's... I'm thinking from like, uh, the, um, not, uh, I can't think of the television show. <laughs> I can't think of it right. Uh It'll come to me when we're done, but yeah, we'll um, figure
1: it out before next week. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. So I, I think that's what it is because I I had the same feeling. I'm like looking at him, like wow, he looks really familiar, and I think he's just a doppel, doppelganger for somebody else. But um, yeah, I I don't know him from anything. He's just a referee. Sorry, not just a referee. He was a referee and a who important job, and he <laughs> was also the booker in te- in Texas. So. um We'll get into all that next week. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like he had a story about some guns and stuff. So these territories, you always got to have your guns involved. <laughs> all right. So a uh, good episode, uh, not my favorite one, but um, fun to just have an episode that told the stories of Portland. And I'm sure over the course of the next week, I'll get, I'll, I'll hear some things about how accurate some of these stories were. I heard that last week, um, I actually heard uh, Dave Meltzer talk about some of the stuff that they talked about with uh, Peter Maivia that he said there were some wild inaccuracies, um, and, you know, that Maivia wouldn't even have been there at that, you know, in those years and things like that. But, you know, hey, it was the, it's the Rock's grandpappy, so I'm not going to say.
1: <laughs> when the, the legend, uh, what, what's the saying? When the legend becomes bigger than the story, print the legend yeah. or something like that? Yeah, yeah.
0: So, all right, that said, we'll get out of here um, and we will see you right back here for another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show tomorrow. Uh, John, what's up tomorrow?
1: Tomorrow on the Daily Wrestling News Show.
0: You know, November I really should start thinking. We have this. Uh, <laughs> what rare WCW championship is defended this day in 2000? Oh, that's today. That's today actually. Yeah. 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 That was today. The tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's one of your stories. What megastar debuted on pay-per-view on this day. It would say Survivor Series 1996 story. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Megastar, who goes well with this episode. <laughs> 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 All right. See you tomorrow, folks. Hello.